0: You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to jump straight to the message this morning. Um, And we're going to go from there. You guys ready? Ready? I I hope you're believing that God can give you something today. And uh, my prayer is that every weekend that we go away, that we, the the Holy Spirit has revealed something to us that God is working something in our hearts that that we walk away from here um, to apply those things that we've learned to uh, to be obedient in the things that God is showing us here. And so uh, that's my prayer this morning. And today is is good news because what we're what we're looking at is, is in Luke chapter two. We'll be in in chapter two looking at verses one through twenty, but. When we we read these verses, the good news out of all this is that today He is a Savior for everybody. For everybody. Isn't that good? Like, you don't have to worry about meeting a certain standard to be able to come to Jesus. You don't have to be a certain ethnicity. You don't have to be in a certain demographic. You don't have to be uh, financially set in a certain way. Here's what we understand is that He is a Savior for everybody. Everybody. And that's good, and it's good news is because that means he's a savior for you and for me and the neighbor that gets on your nerves, right? For the teachers that you've been having these hard conversations with all year, with the IRS guy, because nobody's sending a Christmas card to the IRS this year, are you? I didn't think so. Um, He's a savior for everybody, And, and that's what Christmas reminds us of. I mean, Jesus drops right into this story, right in... To history and he, he makes a way for us. The, the long awaited Messiah that has been prophesied about, prayed for, begged that he would come, he shows and he's here. And the scary thing is, a large group of people missed him. They missed him, didn't even see him, didn't even recognize him for who he is, not knowing that this little baby who, who would appear. In Bethlehem, on that cold night, would be the Savior for everybody, not just the Savior for few. Now, let me ask you this question. I know the answer to it. It's not a trick question, but let's just make sure we're all aware. Christmas is about who? Jesus. All right, let's say that with confidence. Christmas is about Jesus. All right. Now, here's here's where we're right on that. It is about Jesus, but I think sometimes we miss the magnitude of what it's fully, what that really means for us, right? It is about Jesus. We, it's not that difficult, because we ride around, we see nativity scenes all the time. And I don't know about you, like, the nativity scenes drive me nuts because they're not biblically accurate, because the wise men came two years later. So I just go and grab, like, my mother-in-law used to have a nativity set in her house, so every time we would go over for Christmas, I would take the wise men and hide them, because I'm like, they're not here yet. It's two years later. I'll bring them back in two years. We can have them, right? But... We see all the nativity scenes, and we see, we see the words of Jesus, and a baby is born, and, and we sing songs. But the magnitude of that birth, how it changed everything. Like, everything was changed. Because when he came, when he came to earth, he brought a hope. He, he, he brought something that, that was not here. Because the Jewish people in this time period were still facing oppression from the Romans. And their whole journey from Genesis chapter 3 when, when, when the whole sin entered in the world and they make this trek all the way through the Old Testament and they would just go through oppression and they would keep falling into these cycles of sin and God would constantly send them judges and send them prophets to remind them there is one day, there is coming a day where we never have to worry about this again because you will be face to face with God in flesh. Isn't that good? It's okay for you all to be excited about that. Because it's good news. It's good news. Because we have Jesus and we have this good news, we can face anything that comes our way. We don't have to worry about it. That that we know that there's going to be a day where we experience the Savior, but there's going to be a day when we stand before him. And we're going to be not able to say anything. People always say, I I just wonder what I'm going to say the first time I meet Jesus. I don't think we're going to be able to say anything. Because we're going to be in such awe of who he is. That in that day, all of his full glory and everything that he holds, we will be face to face with. And this is where we get into the book of Luke. There are going to be a couple of people in the story that are going to come face to face with Jesus. And some will recognize and some will not. But they will behold the God with us. Because I have to think about that often. Why does Jesus want to be with me? Why does Jesus want to be with me? Why does he continuously pursue me and love me? He knows who I am. He knows my faults. He knows my failures. He knows that I can't deal with, with traffic. He knows I can't go to Azalea Square this time of year without having to take 10 things of communion and fast before I can get there. Anybody else on that? You know what I'm saying? We love you, Somerville, but get your road straight. Right? But let's look at Luke chapter 2. He says, At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This is the first census taken when Quinius, the governor of Syria, all returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, in David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, he took with him Mary, his fiancée. He was now obviously pregnant. I love the way that, that word's up. Like, in case they didn't know, she's, she's obviously pregnant. She's showing. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. Did you guys know, side note, uh, Mary and Joseph had at least seven children? Did y'all know that? They were, we know that there were five sons. Five sons. And, um, and it says in... Their daughters, so we have to assume there's more than two. So there was at least seven, maybe more than that. So there, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, you probably heard of some of them. Jude wrote the book of Jude, who was also Judas, but not that Judas. Um, and then he had a brother, James, that played a pretty important part. So uh, Mary, Mary did really well raising her kids because they they made some pretty big impacts. Um, but anyway, so she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available. For them, let me, let me side note this one more time. Um, we have this picture of Christmas that Mary and Joseph show up to Bethlehem, and they're searching, going from motel to motel to motel to motel, to motel and it's booked because there's a census. Um, they were not going from motel to motel to motel to motel to, motel to find a place to stay. Um, Joseph's family lived in Bethlehem, but because they weren't married yet and she was pregnant, the family said, no way, you're not staying here. That's where there was no room in the inn. The inn being the extra part of the house that they had that they would stay in. So Mary and Joseph, they don't go to a stable. They go to a cave where these animals would come in at night. And, and you'll miss it here, but it says that they wrap Jesus in, these, in this linen cloth, the very same linen cloth that would be used to wrap a lamb when it would go to be sacrificed. So don't, don't miss that part of the story. Luke is giving us some detail here. We move on. Verse 8, it said, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. These are the same fields, by the way, that David sat in writing the book of Psalms, where he would have these honest conversations with God about where are you, what are you doing, search me, O God. These would be the words, this would be the place that David would learn to be a true shepherd and where he would learn to be a king that would lead the people towards the coming Messiah. And said, so suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. It would be like you getting into your car first thing in the morning, forgetting that the night before you had blasted Journey on your car radio when you turned it on and Don't Stop Believing was at 150 decibels. Anybody have that happen before? Y'all don't listen to Journey? Y'all sitting there polishing your halos. Halos like, I don't, We don't listen to Journey. We listen to fill in the blank, whatever's on his radio. Um, I believe Jesus... Never mind. Anyway, we won't go there. They were terrified, as as they would be, and as you and I would be. But the angel reassured them, "Don't be afraid." Every time an angel comes, this is the words that he says. He says, "I bring you good news that will bring. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, not some people, not just the people here in Israel, not just God's chosen people, the Jewish people. It will be good news for all." People it's gonna take a while for that thought to fully set in we're gonna have to get through the book of Acts before they finally realize this news is for all people. He says the Savior. Yes The Messiah the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David And you will recognize him by this sign and you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger because a normal baby would have been in a blanket but the sign was he'll be wrapped in the very same cloth that the lambs will be wrapped in for sacrifice. That's how you'll know. That's how you know. Because you go to Bethlehem, it's a big city. Lots of babies. Everybody's in a blanket. It'd be hard to figure out which one it is. But the one wrapped in the sacrificial cloth, that's the one. And so suddenly the angel was joined with a host of others. there's armies of heaven were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby laying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, uh, mainly because people didn't trust shepherds. Their, their uh, testimonies in court would not hold up because they couldn't be trustworthy. They had a habit of stealing things and taking things. But, yeah, they were the ones in charge of raising the, the right lambs to be used in the temple for the sacrifice and for the Day of Atonement for his people. But listen to this. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. Now, let me, let me say we had a lot of sidesteps. I want to sidestep something for you real quick. I've read this verse a lot, but had a realization when I I read it this year that Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. We don't know what those thoughts are. I think there are times in our lives that God gives us a word personally that's for us and not for everybody else. We don't have to share every thought that God gives us on Instagram, Snapchat, if you're into TikTok, Facebook. There's some things God gives us for private moments because he wants us to think and process them without the, the thoughts of other people. I can't help but think that when Mary was at the cross of Jesus that day, that many of these same thoughts that she was pondering at the birth of staring at her son, if these are the very same thoughts that she had as he was on the cross. Thinking back to this moment of this baby in this manger and how God had orchestrated all these pieces to get the Messiah here on earth. So she pondered these things in her heart. She thought about these things often. Yet Mary did know, by the way, in case this verse right here proves it. So when people ask and sing, "Did Mary, did you know? Yes, she thought about these things often, so she, she knew. Um, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying God. See, Because once you enter the presence of God, you can never leave the same way that you came. And they were praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. These shepherds didn't have any hope. I mean, they were just the outcasts. They were just kind of just doing their thing and and going their own way. Mary is in this situation where she's a young girl and she's had this baby. And her family doesn't even want her. They they won't even let them stay in the home because by doing that, it would be saying that we accept you and we accept what you've done. So there's no grace here. And, And could you imagine your family saying, we know you're in labor, but not here you got to go find somewhere else. And then you end up in the place of a cave. In the place of a cave with animals. That does not smell good. I don't know the last time you've been in a barn, but I've never smelled a barn that was perfect. Right? It don't smell like Bath and Body Works. And this is the place that the king, the savior of the world, would be born. I mean, it seems like this whole story, there was a lot of faith that had to happen. Joseph had to believe. Mary had to go deliver a message to tell her husband that she was pregnant, but it wasn't his, but it also wasn't anybody else's, that it was from God. I and mean, it seemed a little hopeless that that was going to work out because her life would have been on the line. She could have been stoned and killed for that, could have been divorced and pushed away forever. They get to Bethlehem, a place that should have been a safe place among family to find they have nowhere to go. I mean, it's, it's like every turn in the story, it seems like hope just kind of diminishes just a little bit. But God continues to restore through the smallest of things and through the most unlikely of all people to bring hope for the good news of the true hope of the Savior that was being born. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts this morning. I want to give you three reasons why you and I can have hope in Jesus. Why we can have hope in Jesus. Because we live in this year of this last couple of years have just been one of disarray, uncertainty. Uh, we can find, we've, we've come up with brand new words to describe what we've been in the last couple of years. And, and while the world may have changed and, and we're doing things differently now and, and we're, we're more divided than we've ever been, uh, Jesus still sits on his throne reigning in, in, in supremacy. And that hasn't changed. But it's a matter of where our perspective is and what we see and, and where we get our hope from. We, we don't get. We don't get our hope from a, a ballot box. We don't, we don't get our hope from other people or, or from politics or from our financial. We, we get our hope from Jesus. And, and anything outside of that is not hope. It's just a false sense of, secu- of, of security. That, that it, it flees. It, it fades. I, I love this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow. You know the next line? strangely dim and they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his because Jesus's light will make everything else go dim because he will outshine everything everything he will outshine and so he's come to give us this hope in the in the middle of these these hopeless times these times that seem chaotic and even in the in the times where everything is going well he he has come to bring hope so you and I can have hope in Jesus because of who he is is because of who he is think about that matthew chapter 1 in verses 21 through 23 it says that she was going to have a baby and they were going to call this baby jesus and he was going to die for the sins of the world and his name shall be called emmanuel god with us in flesh incarnate that jesus would come and be in the flesh, and live among his people. Showing the way. Showing us what this was supposed to mean. Pointing us to the Father. And so the Bible tells us that they give him this name, Jesus is a name above every name, a name that's in reverence. We know from the scriptures that with his name, it says that the mention of Jesus' name, enemies flee. They're scared of him. That mountains move at the mention of Jesus' name strongholds are broken at the name of Jesus. And this is God's Son who has come to dwell and live among His people. Now this is a, for us, we can see this, but for a first century Jewish audience, this thought would have been one of blasphemy. Because what they would say would be, are you, you're saying that God would physically, in the flesh, live with us? No way. There would be questions because they would ask questions like this. What about Moses? When Moses asked to see God, God said, you couldn't handle my glory if you looked at me. You would surely die. And so Moses said, I want to see you. So God said, that's fine. You can see me, but I'm going to have you sit right here on this rock. And God walks by and all that Moses could see was just his back and he changed. Like, so how can God be with us? Because we can't even be in his presence because of his holiness. I mean, what, what about the prophet Isaiah? I mean, Isaiah got a glimpse of God. He walks into the temple because the king died. He was in, in this really bad spot. He was mourning the loss of their king. And he goes into the temple, and then he experiences God. Think, crazy things begin happening in the temple that day. And Isaiah begins to speak. That I'll go and do anything that I need to do, but my eyes can't behold what I'm seeing because I am too unworthy. I'm not even worthy enough to see this. But yet you're you're saying that God's going to come live with us and we're going to be able to see him for who he is. And, And these are the thoughts. I mean, what about the high priest going into the Holy of Holies? Because we couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. It was a veil that divided us from the presence of God. The only person that could go in would be the high priest, but he had to go through rituals to be cleansed and sacrifices. And just to be safe, they would take his little skirt and they would put bells around the bottom of his skirt and they would tie rope to his waist. Because when he went into Holy of Holies, if the bells stopped ringing, they just assumed that he died and they would just drag him out. (laughs) Right? Could you imagine? I don't want that job. Like, whoops, I've, I skipped step one in the cleansing process. The bell stopped. Well, let's drag Robbie out, and here he comes. It's, you know, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you mount him, like, up on the wall. I'm like, it's in memory of Robbie. He, bell stopped ringing at some point. But, and they're, they're hearing this, and like, so, so we can't even go in the Holy of Holies, but you're telling us that God's coming to dwell with us. Like, this is blasphemy. We don't believe this. This is a heresy. We don't believe it. And God was like, you're going to because it's going to happen. You don't have to believe it for it to be true. And so Jesus enters into this earthly realm, and he he, he dwells with us. And it was a hard thought for them to to process because they couldn't get past the fact that any time that they were going to come in communion with God, that there was a separation. But Jesus was the thing that was going to bridge the separation for us. And they missed it. And it's sad. You go to Israel today, and the Jewish people are still waiting on the Messiah. And here we are saying, no, he is here. And he is living among us, walking among us, empowering us to, the, to do the work that he's called us to do. And, and it's because of that that we have hope because of who he is. Because he said he would live with us, he lives with us. He's not only with us, but the Bible tells us that he's, only the, awesome, he's the only way to heaven. We don't get to heaven based off of our Sunday school attendance or that we can quote 15 verses or that we can pass a Bible drill. I was always bad in the Bible drill, by the way. But we don't get to heaven because of that. He says you, you get to heaven not based off your attendance or all these good things you do. You get to heaven simply because Jesus died for you. He paved the way for you. He's the only way. So, so we have hope because of who he is and who, these, these bold claims that he made about who he was. That's where our hope is. Because every promise that he's made, he has fulfilled. He's, there's never been a promise that he's given that he is taken back or not accomplished. None of the promises of God come with expiration dates. Because they happen all the time. Y'all with me on that? Listen, y- y- your hope is in who Jesus is. It's not because of what you've done. And you can look at your circumstances or you can look to the Savior. Because our circumstances around us will lie to us. Because things can be uneasy and things may not go the way that we think that they should go. But but our hope lies in who Jesus is, not about what's going on. And you have to be reminded of the promises of God. Did you know that Satan will preach you a sermon? And he's very loud when he preaches too. I I don't know if you've ever had it happen, but I've had him preach me sermons. They were pretty convincing. He'll use scripture. Well, you know, Robbie, the Bible says, man, you're unqualified. You shouldn't be doing this. There have been days that I go to come up here to preach, and, and he starts preaching loud. Who are you to be up in front of the people? Who are you to, to proclaim God's word? Do you not know? And, and, just, and, pre- and he will preach loud sermons, and the only way for you to combat that is to come right back at him with the scripture. To be reminded, let, well, devil, let me remind you who my Jesus is let me remind you that i will defeat you because of the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony of what he's done for me let me let me put you back in your place enemy let me remind you what jesus has done if you want to if you want to have this hope the enemy's going to do everything he can to pull the hope away and you're going to have to remind yourself who God is and you need to start reminding him who God is because the enemy he's clever and he'll come after you. You start quoting verses like 1 John chapter 3, where it says, See how great a love the Father has on us, that he has lavished this love, that he has called you and I sons and daughters of him. Sons and daughters. So enemy, do what you want to do, but I have hope that my Father has called me a son, has called you a daughter. We have been made co-heirs with Jesus, that we receive the inheritance of Jesus. In, in Joshua 21, it says, Know with all assurance that God never ever fails he'll never fail that his promises his good promises will come to pass that was the promise that god gave to the people before they crossed over and would begin taking over the lands that god had given them it was a reminder what what about lamentations chapter 3 thank god for this verse but in lamentations chapter 3 verses 23 and through 23 it says that the lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases in other words, there's nothing that you and I can do to make him love us less or more. That his love never, ever ceases. For his compassions never fail. And I love this, because his mercies are made new every, anybody know the end of that verse? Every morning. Not some mornings, not on the mornings where you just feel like you have having a, you get a reset every day on God's mercy. When you woke up this morning, I don't care what you did yesterday, but God put a brand new deposit of mercy in your bank account this morning. And I have to be reminded of that. We have to be people of the word in the scriptures, learning the scriptures, and meditating on them. The Hebrew people would call this chewing the cud. It's like a cow. You know, a cow digests. He eats, he digests, he throws it up. He eats it again. He throws it back up. He digests it again. He throws it back up. Because what is he doing? Besides being disgusting, he's... He's pulling all the nutrients out of what he just ate, as much as he can get. That's what we're supposed to be doing with the Scripture. We, we pull these things. We go, God's mercies are new. What is God telling me through this? What's the Spirit leading through this? I'm going to chew this and get every bit of nutrition out of it so that I can grow spiritually and be more like Christ. And when we do that, we understand and we can stand in confidence that we have hope in who God is. But we also can have hope in Jesus because of what, because of what he's done because of what he's done. When we judge people based off of their track record, right? Like when your kids lie to you. I mean, I know y'all probably don't have that problem. But when your kids lie to you, and you go and ask them, hey, did you put all that toilet paper in the toilet? This might be a real story. No? Why would you blame me? Um, Because you have a track record of putting way too much toilet paper in the toilet. It wasn't me. I don't understand why you always think it was me. Again, your track record is that you're the one that always shoves 15 rolls of toilet paper. Did you not know last year that this was a delicacy to have toilet paper and you want to waste it and clog my toilet? Right? Aren't we like that with people? You want to go get a bank loan to buy a house? What's the first thing they check? Credit? You want to go buy a house, the first thing they're supposed to check is your credit. Can this person make the payment? Can they make the bill? Because your track record says everything. And see, Jesus has a really good track record. He, he, we can look at it and go, well, you know, uh, the situation may not look like I think it's supposed to look, but I've seen what Jesus has done in the past, and he's got a pretty good track record of coming through, even in the last minute. Now, he, he can get here in the last minute. I mean, if I'm, if I'm in this first century Uh, Israel here in this time period in this story and and i've heard these stories all along that the messiah is coming and god has Made good on every promise that he's made i'm, just gonna have to go He's gonna be here at some point. I just got to sit here and wait And continue waiting for the for the messiah to come See, sometimes we have a tendency to judge jesus in our moments of pain and of hurt And we'll say things like where's god at? Why'd you why'd you let me get hurt? Why'd you do this? Were, Were you asleep? Did you not know that this was going to happen? I thought you knew everything. Why did you let me get hurt? Why did you let this thing play out and work the way? Why, is it, why are you still allowing it to happen? Anybody ever had those questions? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody have those questions? And we, we start to question God. I don't understand why you're letting this stuff happen. But I'll tell you this. I might not know now. But what I do know is that you'll come through and, and do, it, do what you need to do. I do know that. I I can have confidence and hope for today because of what Jesus has done for me in the past. That's where my anchor is. I mean, I've been in situations where the circumstances did not match anything that was happening. And it was, where is God in this? God, are you not? You're not listening? God, are you not coming through? I mean, did you forget about me? You been there? You had those honest conversations? It's okay to have those conversations with God, by the way. We see those all throughout Scripture where those conversations happen. And we have a tendency to judge Jesus in those moments because we're not getting what we need, but we forget about what He has done. We forget about the faithfulness that God has had over and over and over in the past. I love 2 Timothy. It says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this Listen to this verse, because this is where people get kind of uptight. He didn't do this because we deserved it. But because that was his plan from the, before the beginning of time, to show us grace through Jesus Christ. This has always been the plan. The moment that Genesis 3 hit and the fall of man happens and sin enters the world, there's a plan that went into play, everybody. And he's made good on all those promises that he's made to get us to this point, to get the Savior to this point. He's got a really, really, really good track record. But we, we tend to lose sight of Jesus in our circumstances. Because everything else is fighting for our attention. Everything else is trying to pull our fleshly desires, to pull us away. And Jesus is saying, don't judge me on the circumstance. You judge me for what I've done in the past. Because your circumstances can change in a moment. Aren't we all one phone call away from our circumstances changing? One letter, one email, one conversation with someone? We're we're just, we live in these small moments of time, and God's not looking just at these small moments of time. He sees the whole picture. He knows. He's aware. And we have to remember that he has a track record. Our circumstances do not encapsulate all that Jesus has done for us we got to see past the circumstances because when, when you lose hope you got to change your perspective of what you see these shepherds are sitting out in the field that night and they had lost hope they had lost they, they were just doing whatever they did they were outcast and are you kidding me that God would go ask those guys to be the ones to go share the good news people have been waiting on this for years you know how you found out that that friend was pregnant, but you didn't find out from that friend, and you thought y'all were closer than that? Are you getting too honest now? That's how the, everybody else felt. All of the high priests were like, the shepherds knew before we did. Like they were told before we were that there was a pregnancy, and there was a Messiah that was born. Think about it. Those shepherds' hope got restored. They're trusting. We trusted shepherds. Who weren't tru- their word weren't trusted anywhere else, and God trusted them with the good news. That would be for everybody, everybody. And so when we get to these situations that we lose hope, we have to change perspective and remember what Jesus has done, what God has done. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we need to fix our eyes, look at God, fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's all about perspective. It's how you see things. You know, I think that for us, we would have more hope and be better Christians if we would remember where we were before Jesus. You with me on that? Like we would have more hope. It would be better Christians if we would remember who we were before Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've noticed how harshly I can be sometimes and how judgmental I can be sometimes. Because, and when I get in those moments, I get judgmental and harsh because I forget where I came from. I forget what he did for me and how life was so broken, but yet he came in and he rescued and he restored what was tarnished and broken and he put the pieces back together again. So I don't ever want us to forget where we were before Jesus. I remember as a kid sitting in my bedroom at night hearing my parents yell at each other door slamming, them leaving, being in, a, in an environment where I thought, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a statistic. We're just, nobody cares, nobody knows. There's no hope. Mom and dad worked two jobs, and dad worked night shift and EMS, and mom worked in the hospital, and it's like they were never together, and when they were, it was like, we'd just rather you not be together. It was, it was a hopeless situation. And then one night, one of his friends... Knocked on the door and said, hey, I want to invite your family to church. That was a foreign concept for our family. The only church I'd ever had growing up was my grandmother would come by and grab me for Sunday school, make me wear the clip-on tie, and would drag me into Sunday school. We didn't have to stay for big church, which was good. But the only reason I agreed, because my grandma asked me, and there was donuts and Mountain Dew every weekend. Not a good combination for a bunch of middle schoolers before you put them in. But that invitation of my dad's friend would take us to church one Sunday. Just my dad and my sister and I would walk in and we would sit on that back pew and I would watch my dad listen intently and there were words that were being used from that pulpit that I'd never heard before. Hope. Restore. All things new. These were a different concept. And that night, I only knew that church happened on Sunday morning. I didn't know they had this whole other thing, that church happened on Sunday night too. That was a really messed up thing for me. But about 5 o'clock, my dad said, get ready. I said, for what? He said, we're going to church. I said, we did that. He's like, they have church at night too. And surprise, they have it on Wednesday as well. It's like, well, I don't like this church thing all of a sudden. Cutting into my private time. But we got ready, and about 15 minutes before, my mom looked at my dad. She said, where are you all going? He said, we're going to church. She said, I'm coming too." And we all went to church for the first time as a family. And And I'll never forget, Monday night, there was a knock on our door. And it was the pastor and one of the deacons of the church. And they came to talk to our family. And I watched my mom give her life to Christ right there in our living room where they had had so many arguments before My dad was on a rescue call. So we called 911. Not emergency. Just so you know. And they paged him over his pager to come home. He came home and I watched my dad give his life to Christ. And then we would end up getting baptized as a family. And then things started to change. Not, not rapid change. There were still arguments here and there, but things would begin to change. Here I am today. Hope. My dad's a pastor today. Quit everything he ever knew to pursue what Jesus was. And he'll tell you, he's not perfect. He's not perfect by any means. But hope was restored because of an invite. It was a personal invite. All, all that guy did that day when he told my dad, I want you to come to church. That guy was reminded what God had done for him and how his family used to be in the same situation. You, you just never know. We can have hope based off of what God has done. And see, he could have judged our family like, they're just crazy people. They're arguing all the time and then they act like they got it all together. But he didn't. He was willing to get down in the mess to share the gospel. And the gospel was simply this. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. Life, life is, t- like what else are you going to do? Sleep in? Come, on, come, come sit with me. And we did. I've never forgotten that. Because I don't ever want to get through with spiritual amnesia that I forget about what God had done for me. And how far it's taken me. Because it's like we get saved and we take on this holier than thou art attitude and we take credit for something that we didn't even. God did it, and we didn't deserve salvation, but God gave it to us because he loved us. He offers that as a gift to us. So never forget about where you came from. I have hope because I remember who I used to be before Jesus. And I'm not where I want to be, but I am a lot closer than where I was yesterday. And that's that's what this hope gives us. When we recognize that we can have hope because of what Jesus has done, we realize it's the sovereign grace of Christ has saved me and has gave me this desire to be more like him, to be more like him, and I have hope in that. I have hope in that. Here's the last thing. We can have hope in Jesus because of what he will do. This takes a little bit more faith. This is called Faith Forward. We, we can have faith in Jesus because of what he will do. Jesus is born. We don't know the time frame. Some scholars think it's about two years, but about within two years... These magi, wise men, end up where Jesus is. And Jesus is just a baby in the manger. He's not walking on water. He's not turned water into wine. He, he's, not done, he's not raised any, anybody from the dead. He, he's not done anything. He, he's, he's messed in his diaper. He's burped, and he's cried, and he's slept. That's all he's done. He's not done anything yet to prove he's the Messiah. But these wise men come. And they meet this baby, and they hear this story, and they worship him. Not because of what he had done, but because of what they knew he could do and what he would do. So they show up and bringing these gifts, and they, they're worshiping him. They, they worship him with this faith forward of knowing that God is going to do something. That there, there is hope because I know that God will move. I know because God does care, and it may not line up in the way I want, but God's gonna move me in the direction that he wants me to be. These wise men travel thousands of miles to worship Jesus. They, they believed in a whole nother religion. Many believed that they were Zoroastrians. You can go read that religion, it's really weird. They, they impaled people and hung them, it, it, was, it was crazy. Um, willingly, people would do that. Um, but they had a hope in Jesus. Believing that, that he was more. And they didn't know. Sometimes the, the, the things that happen in the moment that we don't understand why it's happening, God will use and give you reminders later on of like, you didn't know why that was, but I just need you to trust me that, that there's a purpose for this. And you may not find out on this side of eternity, and you may find out on the side of eternity, but I just need to trust me in this moment. Y'all, y'all been in those spots. Like, I remember in 2007, we went through a very painful situation in our family. Um, Alice and I were expecting our first daughter, Hannah, and Hannah passed away. And it just ripped us to shreds. Because we prayed, and we went... And prayed the prayers of of Samuel and and the prayers of Hannah to give us a child. And we told God, you can use her however you want to use her. We want want her to be used for you. We want you to fill her with your spirit. We want her to be one that will just make a life change. And we did not like the way that God used her because he took her. And we didn't understand in that moment. And long story short, we end up in Monk's Corner because of her in ministry. But this last week, when when Hannah passed away, one of the things we wanted to do, the one thing that somebody gave us that was so monumental and such an important thing, and it was a part of the healing process, was a blanket. Somebody had knitted a blanket, and and they brought it to us for comfort. And we had decided that on her birthday, we were going to donate a whole batch of blankets to the hospital that she was born in. And we just put little tags on it, and we called it Hannah's Hope. That was in 2007. This week we got an email from a mom who passed, their daughter passed away. But somebody gave them one of our blankets. We didn't donate five million blankets. But from 2007 to this week, God gave somebody hope through a blanket. And we didn't understand why that situation happened and still don't fully understand it. But what we do know is that God's still in control of it. We had faith for it that God was going to reveal in his day. And he's still answering that prayer that he would use it. It's painful. It hurts. We've never gotten over it. We've learned to live with it. But God was faithful in the moment. So sometimes God will give you hope because of who he is. Sometimes he'll give you this hope because of what he's done. And then sometimes he's going to give you the hope because of what he will do. But that's all perspective. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray that if, if, you're in, and if you're in this place this morning and you're like, hope has just been bad, it's just, I feel like there is no hope, you're going through some, let's just be honest, you're, you feel like you're going through hell. And you need Jesus to come and rescue out of that dark place and reveal heaven to you. I want to pray for you. Father, I, I, I thank you for this, this community. And Christmas has a way of revealing hurts and pains, Ironic as you would come and take those hurts and pains from us. And I just pray that for those in here today who may be hurting, who may seem like things are hopeless, that they can look to you. That they don't have to look to circumstances. Circumstances do not explain who you are. You are who you are. The scriptures tell us who you are. And you're a God who loves, a God who's compassionate, a God who heals, and a God who is with us. We don't walk through things by ourselves. We don't have to be isolated. You are a God who is with us. And we're thankful that you want to have a relationship with us. And I just pray that we would find our hope in that. And if that's nothing else, that we could just rejoice in that moment of saying that we have hope in a God who wants to be with us and love us and care for us and give us his mercies every day and give us his grace every day. And Father, I just pray that we'd be humbled by that and that we would remember where we were before you. So Jesus, in this moment, I just pray for hope to be restored. I pray that your spirit would put reminders in the minds of the people here of the things that you've done for them. Restore hope. And I pray these things in the name that is above every name, the God who is with us, and that is the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.